We are, as Pastor Mike just said, in the middle of a series leading up to Easter, and it is about the cross. Seven weeks talking about the cross. So what I think is important that we all commit to is coming to the Easter service, and here's why. Because we're going to spend seven weeks, we have spent two weeks now, that's of today, talking about the cross and what's happening on the cross and thinking about the cross. If we don't come to the Easter service, Jesus stays on the cross. <laughs> and we are a people that believes in the resurrection. So come to Easter or you're going to spend a year with Jesus on the cross and you want to come celebrate his resurrection. So Luke 23 is our text for today. Luke 23, verse 32. This is how Luke begins to tell us the story of the crucifixion of Jesus. Two other men, he says, both criminal, criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And already, just with this verse, we have enough to talk about for an hour. But don't worry, I've been here all morning and I'm also ready for lunch, so I'm going to go fast. Two other men. Now, Luke is doing something interesting here. He's reminding the reader that there's been a scene before this one where disciples came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, when you set up your kingdom, when you become the, the Lord of this land, when you become our anointed Messiah leader, can you please have me on the left side and, the, and my brother on the right-hand side? It was like they're asking for a position in the new kingdom. Now, this is a bold thing to ask Jesus. And Jesus responds by saying, you don't even know what you're asking for. The Gospel of Mark says, Jesus answered this way, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Can you go through the baptism I'm going to go through? And the answer is rhetorical. The answer is no, you can't. You don't even know what you're asking for. John and James, the sons of Zebedee. Matthew tells the story this way. I love it because it's really hilarious. Mom shows up to ask, for her boys. <laughs> Pulls Jesus aside and says, Jesus, my boys, when you set up your kingdom, can one of them be on your left side and one of them be on your right side? And um, moms, don't do this. <laughs> Are you with me, moms, today, please? Can we agree that we're not going to do that, especially for our men? <laughs> when I was a, a teacher at La Sierra University, once in a while I get a call from a mom who would ask a question like, is that, is that my son's final grade? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and tell your man, son, to call me next time, not you. <laughs> I, I hear a loud amen. Or, hey, man, tell him. Uh, are you single? Is that why? Or is it you? No. Okay. <laughs> Usually it's the single ladies who are like, yeah, pastor. Let them have it. Um, <laughs> Also, um, so a thing that happened while I was working at last year is that moms would come to, to clean their boys' rooms and to drop off cookies and clean underwear, etc. <laughs> moms, let's stop doing that right now. Don't ask Jesus for a place in his kingdom because that's not going to be helpful to them. And, then, and there's all these young leaders who come up to, um, to us sometimes, to, uh, Pastor, please, can you tell me, I just, I'm ready for, I'm ready for a, a, an enlarged territory. They quote the Old Testament. I'm ready for more responsibility. I just want God to give me more of a platform, more of a, I'm like, you know, and my answer is always, you don't, are you ready for that? Are you, do you know what you're asking for? you know what cup you're asking to drink from? Because those of us in leadership know it is, it is tough. It is hard. And 
And this day is a rude awakening for these guys because they've been asking for left and right side to Jesus, and now they see the left and right side. They're going to die. Rude awakening. Fascinating. Luke goes on, verse 33, when they came to the place called the skull, Luke calls it the place called the skull. The other gospels, the, the other stories of Jesus, there's four of them, call it Golgotha. They use the Aramaic to refer to it. We don't know why Luke chooses skull, but maybe uh, because he knows that it looks like a, like a skull, or maybe some commentaries say it may have not looked like a skull at all. It was just that so much death had happened there that the locals called it the place of the skull. And then Luke goes on and he says, they crucified him there. Along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. They crucified him there. And I think we need to pause and linger on these words every time we read them because there's always a danger that we hear them so much and we just gloss right past it. And Dr. Luke, he's a doctor, could have told us more details. He doesn't have to because the minute he says crucified, everyone who's reading this knows what that means. They crucified him, God with us, Jesus. They crucified him. And so for those of you who don't know much about crucifixion, I mean, most of us, I imagine, have grown up in church, and we know what crucifixion means, and you could probably preach the same sermon that I'm preaching right now. But for those of us who aren't familiar with this, let me just give you, a, just catch you up onto what crucifixion actually meant. It was, it was a, a, a form of torture designed to scare you and your family and everyone in your community to death. It wasn't just about killing you. It wasn't just a death sentence. It was about shaming you as they did this. The Romans invented it. It was the Persians and the, and the Greeks after them. They had been using a form of crucifixion. But the Romans, man, they perfected it. And they knew how to use it to instill fear and panic. And, and this is how they began to align their empire. Uh, it, it wasn't allegiance that they were getting from people. There was fear. And this is how they did this. Crucifixion was the most, the most awful way to die because they did it um, outside the town. They... They took you to a cross, and they either used rope or they nailed you like they did Jesus, and, and they would take your clothes off so you were naked. And, and the shame of this is your body began to lose function, and your community saw you dying. They're like, uh, one author I've been reading says that we have this image of Jesus being crucified high above, like, so everyone was looking up at him. But actually, more likely is that, is that he was crucified at eye level, so you could see him and hear him speak to you. Crucifixion was so awful, in fact, that Romans, if you were a citizen, weren't allowed to be crucified. It was so terrible that the Romans did not do this to their own citizens. One author, one philosopher, Cicero, who lived 50 years before Jesus, he wrote this about crucifixion. Let the very name of the cross be far away, not only from the body of a Roman citizen, but even from the thoughts, his eyes, and his ears, even thinking about the crucif being crucified was awful. The Hebrews, the Jews, thought crucifixion was so awful that they equated that with being cursed by God. You can no longer be, there's something awful has happened in your life, so much so that God has cursed you, and this is how you're going to die on a cross. 
We know Jesus dying so quickly was a surprise to everyone because uh, when Pilate receives the news, we're told in Mark, when Pilate receives the news that he was already dead, he was surprised. And so he asked for confirmation. He says, um, could you please, to his centurion, summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus already had really died. Has this really happened? So we know that some horrible abuse, horrible things that happened to Jesus on the way to the cross, which is probably why he died so quickly. Have I painted a picture for you? A picture of what, how awful and how shameful, how hopeless, how dark crucifixion was. It was terrible. It was a curse. It was the ancient symbol of, of just darkness and awful coercion and empire. And if you went like this at somebody, oh, it, 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 was, it was an insult. I was getting gas at Costco the other day on a Friday afternoon. I met somebody. Because, <laughs> you know, saving those five cents per gallon before the weekend. Some of us drive half an hour to get that five cents off. It's, it's just a psychology. I'm saving five cents. I know I'm spending $17 getting here, but... <laughs> hmm. And so I did the, I did the hey, um, the jousting as you get there. You know what I'm talking about, anybody? When you get in, like, if it's really busy, and I cut somebody off, and it was unintentional maybe a little bit, and um, I acted like I hadn't seen him. Like, I don't know. What's going on? I'm just going to get in this line right here. Because... <laughs> Along with the five cents, I'm going to save five seconds. <laughs> this, this is the most recent example of me getting the one-finger salute. <laughs> the, the, the Jesus loves you, but I, I definitely don't symbol. Um, <laughs> and he did, it, he did it with such, it was like a, with a passion, like, ah, <laughs> And then we both sat in line for five minutes. Looking at each other like, hey, I, and he, he, was, he was in a Corolla. Like, don't, don't do that if you're in a Corolla. You can do it if you're in like a big the truck, like a Ram, Silverado, Jeep. But, but from a Corolla, man, that's, the, that's, not, that's it's not really aggressive. So I'm sitting in my car. So we're looking at each other like, yeah, that was super awkward. I'm feeling embarrassed. I cut you off. You put me off. And then we're both getting gas. And he finally shoots me this glance like, yeah, man, sorry, man. Oh, yeah, yeah, like that, like that symbol, the, the horror and the shame and the, the, the violence and the, every, everything ugly about that. Imagine that this is what these people thought of the cross. And, and here's what gets really interesting is that immediately after Jesus' death and the, his crucifixion and his resurrection, Christians begin to use the cross as a symbol of their movement. I'm not a marketing genius. But if I were one, um, I would offer something like, uh, why, don't we, why don't we come up with a logo that has five loaves and two fishes? <laughs> or maybe a little picture of wine, like the party thing that, you know, he's, he parties, our leader. <laughs> or maybe three angels. That one's taken, sorry, it's a little sarcasm. <laughs> It's sarcasm, everybody. Please don't. It's an English device we use for humor sometimes. Why, why, would, why would they use the symbol of the cross as the 
symbol of the movement. And here's a scandal of the cross is that God can take anything and redeem it. Isn't it? God can take the most shameful, hopeless, darkest, most awful thing, and God can redeem it to mean something so beautiful and radiant and full of hope. And when we look at the cross now, what we think is a future and, and hope and forgiveness. Oh, yeah. Yeah, look, if God can do that with a cross, with a symbol that awful, God can redeem it and use it for amazing purposes in the future. Imagine what God can do with us. The darkest part of our life, you know, you, when you sit and you think about how things are going, you, this, that one thing, you're like, this, this is irredeemable. God says, no, look at, look at the cross and what I've done with the cross. I can do, I, I can do amazing things with even the, the darkest, most shameful things in your life. So uh, Mark continues, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. If, if Scripture has an apex, if the Gospels have a, an apex, this, is, this may be it. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. On the way to the cross, Jesus has experienced every possible abuse. He's been betrayed by his friends. He's been, he's been given a crown of thorns to wear. He's been insulted. He's been, he's been pierced in his side. He's been mocked. And now from the cross, having experienced all of this, dying on a cross, he looks at the people who are killing him, and what does he say? He says, Father, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Is this not, is this not grace? Is this not what Jesus has been teaching us all along? He's so consistent. Back, back in Matthew 18, he tells his disciples, you're going to forgive 70 times 7, and we love doing the math. We're like, 490 times. That's not at all what he means. What he means is that 70 times 7 is a boundless number. It's just you forgive every time without question. You forgive before someone asks for forgiveness. You forgive when someone doesn't deserve it. You forgive when someone doesn't even know that they're doing something wrong or they're injuring. He's asking for forgiveness for people, saying, he's saying, they don't even know what they're doing, God, but I want to intercede on their behalf. Please forgive them. Is this not grace? Doesn't this just, doesn't this change the world? I mean, what, what Jesus is ex exposing on the cross is that coercive power is never the answer. What Jesus is exposing on the cross is that this spectacle, God hanging on the cross, exposes the fact that sometimes we turn to violence as humans, we turn to retribution, we turn to all kinds of forms of trying to repair the world that have nothing to do with the way God is repairing the world. What, what fixes the world is redemptive suffering, redemptive love, forgiveness, grace. That's what changes the world. God never coerces. On the cross, Jesus is hanging, basically saying, the cross is how I'm going to demonstrate that everything is level. I cannot force you to love me. I cannot force you to love me just like I cannot control you into loving me. Love has to be freely chosen. Some years ago, a friend of mine fell in love. We were all so happy for him. And then he decided to get engaged to this beautiful girl. And, and he spent weeks, as some of you do, preparing for the great asking. 
It was so sweet. He got us all together and he said, we're going to go to Santa Monica. I'm going to take her to eat at the end of the, you've been, you've been there, Santa Monica? At the end of the pier, there's a restaurant. Uh, and then at the, at the appointed time, as the sun is setting, I'm going to come out with her down the pier. And then all of you, my friends, he counted us off and he spent um, a long time making these these pieces of paper, these, these posters, each of them had a letter on them, and we were supposed to hold these, these signs at the appointed time that would spell out um, a, a, an asking, but we thought it'd be funnier if we changed what the signs said. <laughs> you know what's awesome? When I tell the story, when I tell the story, the ladies go, oh, jerk. The guys are like, yeah, ha, ha. <laughs> go wreck, wreck, wreck that whole thing, ha, 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 ha. So it was delicious. So what happened is that <clears throat> everything happened according to his plan. You know, they're walking down the pier, and it was perfect. The sun is setting. There's dolphins swimming. <laughs> dolphins swimming by. <laughs> We're all on the beach sitting, holding our signs that he made. And we're, we've got our backs turned to them so that they can't see who they are, we are. Because if they did, if she saw us, then the whole thing would be blown and she would know. And it was a surprise. So we're all on the other side. And when it's time, he drops to, to one knee right behind us. And we all go, ah. And the sign said, instead of, will you marry me? It said, you will marry me. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I'm so glad you found that funny, too. The 9 o'clock didn't think it was that funny, apparently. <laughs> mm. <laughs> ah, we, this is hilarious because that's not how it works. It works this way. You, you, you sacrifice. You, you give freely. You lay your heart out and you say to somebody, will you? If you coerce or control, it's no longer love because love and control can't exist in the same relationship. And at the cross, God with us, Philippians tells us he empties himself of every divine power. He submits himself like a servant. So what? So that we could have an option to love freely. And, and not only is he loving us from the cross, he's actually pronouncing forgiveness over us so that we would always hear it this way. Will you? Will you? Not you will. You will, you will. At creation, my favorite author says, at creation, God gave us life because what God wanted was relationship from us. He could not coerce, he did not control it, so he gave us the power to choose. And then he gave us feet, but he can't force us to walk towards him. He gave us hands, but he cannot force us to embrace or serve him. He gave us a mind, but he cannot force us to think about him. He gave us a heart, but he can't force us to love him. That has to be freely chosen, and I see Jesus hanging on this cross that day, looking out at, his, at the people who are killing him, saying, Father, forgive them, forgive them, so that we would always have a choice to love him. Luke continues, he says, and they divided up his clothes, by casting lots. And little did they know that they were actually fulfilling prophecy from Psalm 22. The psalmist says they will divide his clothes and they will cast lots over them. 
in verse 35, the people stood watching. And the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God, Messiah, the chosen one. They're mocking him. Oh, the rulers are going to do this. And then there's going to be two more instances where they're going to keep mocking Jesus. There's three of them. But what I find that interesting about this moment is that Luke chooses to begin this section by telling us the people stood watching. What, what was going on? <laughs> I'm full of questions. Were they, were they pleased with the outcome? And they just said, okay, this is what we've been asking for a few hours ago. We were chanting crucify him. So this is going to turn out the way we want it. This is why they're just standing there watching. Or were they so shocked at what they were seeing that they were just silent? They couldn't, they couldn't believe or speak about what they were seeing. This is why Luke says they were just standing there. Or were they so used to what they saw at the place of the skull that it had little effect on them. They were just not moved by death anymore and human life being treated the way it was. So they just stood there watching, and I wonder, do we sometimes just stand there watching? Do we stand there watching when the great injustices around us are being committed because we're either used to it or we just... We're dead, and we read the, 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 the news headlines, and we just can't do anything. We just stand there and watch as, as some of the most awful things in our world are happening, and, and we just stand there watching as people ravage and abuse the, the created order that God has given us to steward, and we just watch. Are we just standing there? You know, my, not at my house. A few weeks ago, the woman who I live with, she's standing over, sitting over there, so I'm going to be really careful. I have 26 years of marriage with my lovely wife. I did ask, will you marry me, by the way? I didn't say you will. She, uh, at a family meeting, she said, we're no longer going to stand watching anymore, so now we're going to use toilet paper base for, uh, that's made from bamboo, and it's awful. But we're doing the right thing. We're also down to three-minute showers. Hmm. And if you go any time over three minutes, you get deducted 30 seconds the next time you take a shower. So <laughs> I'm not enjoying it, but it feels good to not just be standing around anymore. And those paper towels, by the way, I forgot to mention the paper towels. They don't absorb anything. <laughs> They're like... <laughs> You can't even pull them off the thing. They fall apart as you're pulling them off of the... <laughs> but I feel good about what we're doing, baby. I do, I do. <laughs> Verse 36, the soldiers also came up and mocked him. Here's the second time he's being mocked. We can, we can hear the mocking from the rulers and the soldiers. Those guys are always the bad ones. We know it's going to happen. They, they offered him wine vinegar and said, if you're the king of the Jews... Save yourself. And then the final insult is verse 38. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. It was an insult because, you know, an epitaph like that was always hung over a cross, as we understand now, describing or explaining the reason why you're being put to death. 
this guy, this guy called himself the king of the Jews, or his followers called him the king of the Jews. It became such an issue that the rulers later went back to Pilate and said, no, 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 don't, don't, don't put that up there. We're going to get in trouble with the, with the ruler of the land, the Caesar. And Pilate says to them, what's written is written, man. You guys have written your own destiny with this. This is the final insult. King of the Jews is like their way of pronouncing the end of this. The end of this movement, the end of this man that's over, but little did they know that these believers, the followers, eventually would, would begin to worship him not just as king of the Jews, but king of kings. That his follower Paul one day would say, actually, he's above all things, and he's before all things. That the writer of Revelation, John, one day would call him the king of the ages and the ruler of the kings of the earth. King of the Jews? You think that's an insult? You don't even know what's going on here. You don't even know what's going on here. Christ is king not because he saves himself that day, but because he sacrificed, he gave himself in love to repair and redeem the world. That's why he's the king of kings. That's why he's the king of the ages, and that's why he is the king over all the earth. Some years ago, I heard a pastor, one of my heroes, I love watching him preach. His name is Andy Stanley. He, he told a story about the Colosseum in Rome. And I actually, when I heard him tell the story, I thought, this man is exaggerating, like all pastors do. <laughs> you don't believe me that pastors exaggerate? Your pastor did a couple of weeks ago when he told the story about him and I flying in a plane coming home. <laughs> Oh, I've been waiting for two weeks to do this. <laughs> so let us take our time with the lies that he told. <laughs> First, yes, we were flying together from the One Project in Boulder, Colorado. Second, it's true, I got upgraded. A sweet, sweet, sweet upgrade. <laughs> and he did not. His seat was next to the lavatory in the very back. <laughs> now... Also true is that I was preparing to receive this wonderful meal that was going to heal my soul and make me feel warm inside and just live in the glow of first class, in the glow of privilege, and that he was going to be in the very back of the plane feasting on cold peanut butter and jealousy sandwiches. Now, what is not true, I did offer him my seat, by the way. I said, uh, you may have my seat. Um, and I was never intended to give it to him, so that was, <laughs> oh, yeah, this is my seat, but if he had said, yeah, I'll take it, I'd be like, nah, I've, nah, I've changed my mind. No, you, don't, you can't have it. <laughs> what is not true, it was his attitude. He was definitely not like, uh, he made it sound like he was like, I'm good, man, sorry, sorry I'm just going back there. No, he was not. I could see the color green. <laughs> the, sh the color green of the shade of jealousy and envy on him. We even, buddy? You watching? I love you. I love you, man. So pastors exaggerate is what we do. And I thought, this Andy Stanley guy, he's exaggerating. There's no way what he just told us is actually true. And I waited a decade to see, to actually prove whether he was telling the truth or not. And it goes like this. 
the Colosseum, the Roman Colosseum, built in 72, oh, the, the construction process began in 72 AD. Emperor Vespasian had this vision of a Colosseum bigger than anything has ever existed before. You'll see a picture here in a, in a moment. 50 to 80,000 people could fit in this place. This is, we're talking 2,000 years ago. It took almost 10 years to complete. Domitian finally completed it, the final emperor, one of the emperors that John talks about in his, in his book, the Revelation. We know him as the beast, because that's what John was referring to when he was talking about this evil empire and the ruler of which was wreaking havoc on the people of God. So Domitian was a bad guy. And here's, here's what we know this place to be. We know it to be a place of death. So my son and I, just a little bit of travel brag, last year for spring break, uh, I was invited to speak at a thing in Europe, and I said, buddy, let's go to, let's go to Europe together. You'll see the next picture, him and I. Um, I dragged him along to all these sites, and here's what a teenager really doesn't like want to do. He doesn't want to do this, these two things. One, hang out with a dad who's going to read every single plaque and every single museum and everything. <laughs> also, I am a crybaby, and so when I was standing here watching this, just looking at this entire this scene, the Colosseum on the inside, just feeling the, the weight, imagining the amount of death that took place in this, in this arena. Thank you. Leave it here for a moment. I, I, kept, I kept looking at this and thinking about the early Christians and how they were thrown into this place, the followers of the king of the Jews. They were thrown into this place, and you probably have seen the movie Gladiator. You know how it worked. There was trap doors, and there was a false floor, and they would keep beasts under there that hadn't been fed for days, and then they would release them, and they would, they would die. They would, the rivers of blood flowed out of this place. And I kept thinking about, as I was looking at this, about what goes through the mind of a father or a mother. And their precious kids, as they know, this is the end. Do they think, Father, forgive them? Do they look about them in panic, wondering what's happening? I know they probably could see, because there's a VIP section. They could probably see uh, the emperor sitting in his, in his chair. a symbol of, of horror and pain and darkness and hopelessness. They could see the emperor watching death as if it was entertainment. And um, man, I've talked about this three times today. This is my third time, and I just can't pardon, pardon this weepy pastor today, but I, I keep thinking about the fact that we all have families. And we all have people that we love, and and, and I wonder what it was like to face certain death in these moments. And, and, then, um, and then I confirmed what Andy Stanley said was true. If, if you look to the left in the little corner there the, where the emperor used to sit, well, you can't see it in this picture because it's too far, but I'll show you the next picture. That, that actually shows you what's going on in that corner now. there's a cross where the emperor used to sit. Now, 
if you could tell these families who were about to die those days, if you could tell them, hey, in less than two or 300 years, this empire won't even exist. But the kingdom of Jesus will outlast it all. Tell them, hey, you know, this, this dark time you're going to live through, this painful time, this horrible death you're going to experience, if you could tell them there's a day coming when, when people won't even know the name Vespasian and Domitian, it won't matter a thing. I just said this name earlier, and you probably were all like, whatever, I don't even know. But you know this name, Jesus the Christ. He reigns. He reigns. There's no more empire. Roman Empire ended 400 BC or AD. If you could tell me one day, in December, we're going to tell a story about the birth of this baby in the dusty corner of the world. And this story is going to have a Caesar in it, but that'll just be a footnote. He's just going to be a minor player in the story. The story is really about the birth. And one day in the future, if you could tell them this, one day in the future, we're, we're going to tell the story of the crucifixion every, every Easter, every springtime, March, end of March, beginning of April. We're going to talk about the cross of Jesus, and then we're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus, and no one's going to care who was the emperor. No one's going to care who was sitting on that chair when you died. It won't matter. Why? Because... The reign of Jesus will last forever. Now, we could also tell him one day in Redlands, people are going to stand and are going to sing praises to his name. We won't know anything about those years of misery you lived. We all don't know the hope and the life and the future that Jesus brings. If we could tell him there will be one day a cross planted where the emperor sat. The cross of Jesus. And hey, the cross of Jesus won't mean shame. It won't mean coercion. It won't mean abuse. It won't mean death. The cross of Jesus, when we look at it, we're not going to think anything. We're going to think hope, future, forgiveness. That's what we're going to think when we see the cross of Jesus. Now, some of you in this place are going through your own storm. Some of you are some of you are going through your own moment in the Colosseum where everything seems dark and hopeless and, 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 and you feel like today, like this is, there's, there's no future. And maybe the only thing you need to remember today is that there's a cross where the emperor once sat. And there's a cross for eternity. Where evil now sits, it'll, it'll be a cross. There's hope, and there's a future, and there's forgiveness. Look to it today. Jesus, we thank you on this beautiful March afternoon. For the day you went to the cross for us. for speaking these words over 
the people who were doing this evil to you, but also over all of us. Forgive them, forgive them, forgive them for inviting us, not coercing us into this life with you, for redeeming this symbol of shame and hopelessness and darkness and making it into a symbol of hope and forgiveness and life. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.